Let's turn to uh, the New Testament and to the Gospel of John, John chapter 9. Uh, if you're following in the pew bows, that's page 1075. And we're going to read two sections out of this, uh, John 9, 1 to 12, and then passing over to verse 35 to 41. So we continue our, our series in John's Gospel. Uh, Just to say, next week will be uh, our last sermon in this section of John, then we'll take a little break for Christmas and New Year, and then hopefully we'll come back to John, the second half of John, as we get closer to Easter. John chapter 9, and uh, reading from verse 1, Jesus heals a man born blind. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, because this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Uh, As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world." Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, and others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. And then we'll move across to verse 35. Jesus heard that the Pharisees had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him. You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see your guilt remains. And may God add his blessing to this reading of his word. I'm sure you would agree with me that one of the most important uh, senses that we have, five senses, one of the most important senses that we have is the sense of seeing. Our eyesight is so important to us. In the ancient world, a lot of people became blind. Uh, Some were born blind like this man, but an awful lot Uh, became blind because of unsanitary conditions, because of of a lack of medical care. 
So it was a real problem in the ancient world. And in fact, as we read through the Gospels, uh, one of the most common miracles that Jesus did was healing people from blindness. Now, restoring the sight of this man born blind is the sixth sign or the sixth miracle that we see in the Gospel of John. And again, as we saw last week, we were at the time or the context of these events was the Feast of Tabernacles. So also we are still in that area, we're still in that time, still in that Feast of Tabernacles. John has already highlighted this theme of light and seeing in his prologue in chapter 1. For example, in chapter 1, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it or overcome it. Again, in chapter 1, verse 9, the true light that gives light to every person was coming into the world. It's useful to know that as well as the water-pouring ceremony that we spoke of last week in the Feast of Tabernacles, there was another ceremony involving the filling of 16 golden bowls with oil, and then they were placed along the wall of the temple, and they were lit And so as evening approached and as evening fell, it was autumn time, so these bowls of light uh, were were filled and and lighting the whole area. The Old Testament basis for this light ceremony was a promise given through the prophet Zechariah in chapter 14, verse 7. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord, and when evening comes, there will be light. So at this Feast of Tabernacles, much like our Feast of Christmas, there were a lot of lights around, light dispelling darkness, and there was a theme of the glory of God and the glory of the Lord coming again, shining in the darkness. So it is in this context that Jesus comes across a man who is blind and who heals him. And he will use this sign, this miracle, to develop a conversation about spiritual blindness and spiritually seeing. John in his gospel loves to present the contrasts and ironies. The man born blind will see physically, but he will also see spiritually, whereas the Pharisees who could see physically will be blind spiritually. So in chapter 9, Jesus and the disciples come across a man who has been blind from birth. And a theological question is raised by the disciples. Who sinned? Why why is this man blind? Has he sinned or did his parents sin? Because in the thought of the time, many thought that whenever there was illness or injury, that it was because someone had done something wrong. It's because they had sinned. It was a very simple theology someone is blind, they have done something wrong, someone else has done something wrong, that is, that is his punishment. Now, of course, Jesus seeks to correct this and, and dispel this theology. It's not true theology. Neither this man sinned or his parents sinned to cause this blindness. Jesus steers the conversation away from that wrong thinking to the right thinking of what can God do in a situation such as this which seems desperate and and bad. Now, as I was reading through the the commentaries on this, uh, one of the commentators suggests that verse 3 could be translated in a slightly different way. In our version, it says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, 
But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, I will continue to do the work of him who sent me. But the, the kind of the nuance or the tenor of that translation is that this man was blind or caused to be blind by God so that God could do a work of a, of a miracle in, in, in his life. But this, other, this commentator suggests another translation uh, this way, neither this man nor his parents sinned, full stop, but so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. I must do the work of him who sent me while it is still day. So the first translation, the translation that we have in our Bibles, almost suggests that God caused the physical blindness, whereas Berg suggests that actually to translate it slightly differently, neither this man nor his parents sinned, full stop, but so that the work of God might be displayed in his life, we must do the work of him who sent me that this man's blindness is through the, the general natural consequences of the fall. And this is something that Jesus is now reversing through this miracle. And I think that nuance and that translation <clears throat> is probably better from a Christian theological perspective. The vast, vast majority of illness is nothing to do with God specifically causing that illness. It is because of the consequences of the fall, that we live in a fallen world where there is illness and injury and all sorts of stuff. If we are going through some suffering, rather than seeking to blame God for that suffering or even to blame fate, perhaps a more positive attitude is to ask, how can I glorify God even through this suffering? How can I glorify God in spite of this illness? How can I grow as a person as I walk through this valley or this trial or this difficulty? For there is no doubt that trials and illnesses do shape us and they mold our character. They can truly make us or break us. Yes, we come to God for healing and we pray for healing. That healing may come directly from him. It may come through surgeons and doctors and nurses and so on. So we do continue to pray for healing, but if God does not heal in the way we want, we can ask God, Lord, how can I still glorify you through this illness and through this suffering? And so Jesus would encourage us, yes, to pray to him for healing, but if he does not heal in this way, to pray, Lord, how can I glorify your name through this suffering? It is interesting that Jesus spat on the ground in this healing. Again, in the culture of the time, there were curative powers uh, given to saliva. People believed that the saliva was, in some sense, magical way it could cure people. Now, whether Jesus is working within the thought of this time or for some other reason, we don't know, but this is what he does. And then he puts the mud on the man's eyes and he says, now go to the pool of Siloam. Now, interestingly, Siloam means sent. He was sent to the pool called sent. And perhaps this is significant because that's what Jesus is all about. He was sent into the world, and he sends us to obey his will. And it is as the man goes, as he is sent, as he does what Jesus says, that he finds he is healed. So it says, so the man went, and he washed in the pool, 
and he came home saying. Sometimes I love the understatement of the Bible. There is a world of wonder in that sentence. So the man went, he washed, and he came home saying. Now you can imagine the man's heart, the, the joy that would have been in his heart as suddenly he sees things. He sees a world that he has never seen before. And you would expect that as he goes home rejoicing and as he comes to his parents and to his friends and to his family and to the Pharisees, that they would all be rejoicing. But actually, in the, the verses that follow that we didn't read, do please read them if you, if you have time later today, we see that there's conflict, there's confusion. His parents almost, almost deny him. Who, who is this person who, who we've known as someone who couldn't see? Now he sees. And the Pharisees, they're attacking him because he's been healed. Who is this man that did this to you? Instead of rejoicing with him and comforting him and encouraging him, they're openly hostile to what has happened. In fact, they cross-examine the man. They criticize him for his lack of theology. In verse 34, they say, you were steeped in sin at birth. That's why you were blind, because you're a sinner. You were steeped in sin at birth. You did things that were wrong, which wasn't the case at all, actually. Yes, he was a sinner like the rest of us. Yes, he was a sinner like the Pharisees, but he hadn't done anything wrong more than they had. But his personal experience spoke loudly. One thing I am sure of, verse 25, I was blind, but now I see. It's a bit like that line in, in John Newton's famous hymn, Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. That was his personal experience. Sometimes God can do a great work in someone, but we compartmentalize God. And maybe for some reason, because they think differently from us, or they're from a different culture, or they think differently theologically from us, we don't see this great work that God is doing in their lives. The disciples and the Pharisees were in shock. This was contrary to their theology. Yes, we need to be discerning if God performs a miracle and ask, well, is God in this and so on? But we must also be open to the fact that God can work in wonderful and strange ways. We can be overly protectionist instead of rejoicing in the healings and in conversions when we hear of them. In verses 18 to 23, we see that even his parents were not welcoming. Out of fear, they were unwelcoming to their son. Sometimes Jesus, when we invite Jesus into our lives, it has an impact on our families. It can discombobulate them. I love that word. They can just feel a little bit out, sorry, what has happened to this person? They, there's a sense of fear or suspicion. Yet when Jesus does a glorious work in a life, it can lead not only to glory to God, but also opposition from neighbors and friends and work colleagues and so on. One man enters into life and light. Others go deeper into the darkness. The Pharisees asked Jesus, are we blind? And Jesus says, if you were blind, perhaps you would not be guilty. But you see, and you have seen these miracles, you've seen these signs that I have performed, and yet you still refuse to believe. Seeing they do not see, and therefore in God's judgment, he will make them spiritually blind. They will become incapable of seeing. 
Now, what are the main causes of this spiritual blindness? I think there are three. First of all, there is blindness caused by Satan. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan is prince of this world. Satan loves to exercise control over people in this world, and he blinds their hearts and he blinds their minds. People are not aware that they are blinded, but they are. A number of people can be sitting in the same room. In fact, a number of people can be sitting here in this church. They can hear the same gospel message. One person sees it, acknowledges it, receives it. Another person who has heard exactly the same message, it just passes over their head. They just don't get it. They just don't see it. It's because Satan has blinded their minds and covered their hearts. And so what we need to do is to pray. This is why prayer is so important. We pray that the Spirit of God will take away the veil, that He will open the eyes, that people will see the gospel and see Jesus for who He really is. So an awful lot of blindness, spiritual blindness in our world is caused by Satan. The second cause of blindness is people's own love of darkness. John says, light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light. Some do not want to come into the light because light exposes their sin or because they prefer to stay in the dark. They're enjoying the sin of the darkness. People who open their lives uh, to sin almost become desensitized to God and desensitized to the light. Again, elsewhere, the Apostle Paul speaks about people who have given themselves over to sensuality, and therefore they become desensitized to God. The more we pursue darkness, the less we welcome the light. We find it glaring. We find it off-putting. We find that we become vulnerable. We become people of the night. And so we pray that the light of the glory of the gospel will break through and break into people's hearts and minds that they will see things they have never seen before, that they will be tired of the darkness and want to move towards the light. So the first cause of our spiritual blindness is Satan, the prince of this world. The second cause of darkness is our own uh, sin and selfishness and wanting to dwell in the darkness, not approaching the light. And the third cause of blindness, and despite what we said about this blind man and God's judgment. The third cause of blindness is God's judgment upon us. Yes, this man did not sin any more than anyone else. His parents did not sin any more than anyone else that he was born blind. But it is possible for God to bring judgment upon a person because they keep refusing the light. They keep pushing God away. A very famous example of this, of course, is in Exodus when the Pharaoh uh, had Moses come to him, and Moses kept asking him and saying, look, God wants us to go from Egypt, etc., etc. And every time Pharaoh said, yes, you can go, and then he changed his mind, and he pushed back against God. And despite Moses coming and warning him nine times, God is going to judge you. And in fact, plagues came nine times. Each time, Pharaoh's heart grew harder and harder and harder. That's what the text says. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. 
and therefore he was under judgment. And the darkness grew deeper and the plagues grew harder. But he would not repent. He would not release the people. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about God handing people over to their sin. And that is a terrible judgment. When you get to the stage where God hands, hands people over to their darkness and hands people over to their sinful ways, there's, there's hardly a way back from that. It's a terrible judgment. The prophet Isaiah talked about this kind of judgment in Isaiah chapter 6. Go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Isaiah 44 and 18, they know nothing, they understand nothing, their eyes are plastered over so that they cannot see, and their minds closed so that they cannot understand. These are frightening verses. They are verses of judgment where God's judgment comes upon a people whenever they are resisting the light and the life of Jesus. Their hearts grow harder and harder and harder. When we are born, physically born, we have an inbuilt bias towards self and sin. Ever since Genesis th chapter 3, ever since the fall, we have a bias away from God. Uh, Martin Luther uh, described sin as the sinner is curved in on himself, or the sinner is curved in on herself. Luther said that the solution was to be drawn outward by the Spirit, that the curving outwards towards others and the curving outwards towards God only happens by the Holy Spirit bringing light. The Spirit brings sight. The Spirit brings life. The Spirit brings an awakening to God. Ironically, we can be surrounded by lights at Christmas, people trying to bring light into their dark worlds. It's the darkest time of year. But they ignore the true light, the light of the world, Jesus, who's the light of lights. He brings light to those who are blind. And the challenge for us today is what will we do with this light? Will we hide from it? Will we rage against it? Will we push against it? Will we retreat into the darkness? Or will we come into the light and receive the light of Jesus? We worship a king who stepped into this world for us. He was a different kind of king, the king of kings and lord of lords. He became a little baby. The light came into the darkness. And today the challenge of the gospel is will we receive that light? Because that life, that light explodes in us and it changes everything. It changes all our priorities, all our perspectives. And we realize how blind we were. Whenever we invite Jesus in, we realized how wrong we, we viewed things. Will you give your life to this king? And then you will see everything differently. I'm going to invite the band up. They're going to minister to us in a song that Jesus is a different kind of king. But let's pray just as they're getting ready. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts. We recognize that Jesus is 
the light of the world. He's the one who can heal. He's, He's the one who healed this man physically born blind, and he could see everything differently. He could see as he could never see before. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone here today, and they've been dwelling in the darkness, and they have not invited Jesus, the light of the world, into their hearts, that they will do this today, and they will leave this building, and they will see everything differently because they've invited Jesus, the light of the world, into their lives. Come, Holy Spirit, and bring Your light, the light that changes everything, and to Your name be the glory. Amen.